With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, And I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is Finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Book of Joe podcast with me, Tom Berducci and Joe Madden. Uh, Joe, are you a big fan of Jeopardy by any chance? Uh, What is? Yeah, I guess I am a big fan of Jeopardy. (laughs) How could you not be a big fan of Jeopardy? Right. Uh, Yeah. You know how they have this uh, once in a while category called potpourri? Sure. It's kind of like a catch all. By the way, potpourri is French for rotten pot. I never knew that before. That's a Jeopardy answer for you as well. Potpourri originally was a... Or a rotten pot or a rotten pot? Yeah, it was a stew. You just throw a bunch of you, you throw a bunch of mixed meats in a pot and, and it's a stew. That's a potpourri. And now it's a Jeopardy category. So we've got kind of a, a potpourri today. All right. We're going to have different categories. Um, we're going to talk about our categories. The commish, start me up. The slump and supergroups. It's all coming up today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to start with Hinchliff. You and I were at the reopening of beautiful Hinchliff Stadium in Patterson, New Jersey, one of two surviving Negro League ballparks. We were there for the dedication on Friday. It was quite the event. Uh, by the way, Rickwood Field in Alabama is the only other surviving ballpark where Negro League Baseball was played. So Hinchcliffe had been shuttered for almost three decades, and now there will be professional baseball there, the New Jersey Jackals, an independent minor league team, for the first time since 1950. And what's most cool of all is all these kids now, I'm talking school kids, travel ball kids, can play football, soccer, baseball, on the same field where Negro League stars played. I'm talking about Josh Gibson, Oscar Charlton, Cool Papa Bell, Larry Doby, 
And by the way, on that same field, because they played other sports as well, Jim Thorpe played there. Vince Lombardi played there. Babe Ruth attended boxing matches there. The history there is unbelievable. So, Joe, I'm curious what your take was being there at the event, being inside the the beautiful walls of Hinchliffe Stadium. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Uh, that's a really great intro to the whole thing. Um, I, again, it's one of those surrealistic moments for me. Uh, and as we were standing on the field there, there was a bunch of dignitaries on the field. A lot of politicians had to speak. And then, of course, fans in the stands. But, I mean, it was kind of like a blustery, cool, but not cold day. Uh, whereas it wasn't just sunny, but there's a bunch of clouds behind the ballpark there uh, as we were facing towards school number five, right? Public school number five. Yep. And uh, and you look at it, and it could have been any year. It could have been any year we were standing there listening to all this, uh, listening to the different people talk about the rededication. Um, everybody was so thrilled about it. It was a big, it was a very large buzz throughout the city as, as attested by the traffic jam just trying to get into the place. So it was, it was, for me, it was one of those moments that I won't forget. I did take a mental snapshot. Um, and that, a lot of, like, a lot of that is not lost. I mean, the people that had walked on that field before all that stuff, uh, pretty spectacular. Right. And the mayor, Andre, uh, did a wonderful job and, and Greg, his assistant really, uh, he helped us a lot, but it was, it was really all of that. I mean, it's, it was a great take in person. I'm really happy that we had a time, uh, a chance and the time to get there. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the school there. Um, and you just think about for the last 25 to 30 years, if you were going to school there, you're looking out the window, uh, you were looking at literally urban decay. Mm -hmm. The ballpark was falling apart graffiti strewn you had trees of weeds growing out through the stands and the turf on the field just a complete eyesore and now they're looking out there and it's something you can dream on it doesn't mean you have to dream on being a professional baseball player but dreaming about opportunity and that's to me what that ballpark is about joe is yeah. it's about opportunity the chance to whether it's concerts baseball football boxing, you name it, that now should be, and I think will be, a, a real source of civic pride, a place for community to gather, and, and what's better than that? Yeah, it's going to be inspiring to the kids looking out the windows, because that's what we do as kids in school. We look out windows, right? And they're going to be looking out there, and your, your description is right on. I mean, what they've done to it with the turf all over the field, actually the, uh, a track that surrounds it that they, uh, I guess, unzip the turf on one side to complete the uh, – the oval with the with the track itself, the scoreboards in center field. I like the signage, the Hinchliffe Stadium, and of course the extension to the Negro League Museum. I guess in right field uh, that I went to afterwards for like a little reception. Spectacular, all of it, and then the view out the back window there to the falls itself. And even uh, Mayor, I think it was Mayor Andre. Somebody pointed out to me there's an oh, there's one more chimney stack um, setting up right there in the middle. It's the old Colt Forty Five. Um, factory that had been sitting there, you know, how many years ago, but it's the chimney stack still exists right there, right in the middle. I don't know, 150 yards, 200 yards from the, from that particular building. So everything about it, um, really, it has a tremendous, uh, combination of old and new right now, but I, I love that, what the art deco component of the Hitchler stadium, um, tremendously done in the first place and beautifully restored. Yeah, I love the fact that there is a, a museum component to that because you and I were there and, and we know about the history. You could, you could feel the ghosts, really. You, you really could yeah. because the exterior really hasn't changed much at all. As you mentioned, the Art 
art deco decor to it. it it's just a really fabulous cool place but the stories will be told and i'm sure they'll be told so well at that museum there about the stadium about the negro leagues and the story that it's such an integral part of american opportunity um and history that it's so cool that generations now will get to tangibly feel and see that history and not just read about it in a book. And for me, Joe, I got to throw this in there. It's a little bit of personal history for me. First time I was back there since playing high school football, a high school football game there in 1977. Believe me, when I played there, it was starting to decay, but it was like being inside an old mansion where you could, you could feel the history, even if you knew it wasn't, you know, uh, up to standards and in, in terms of you know the maintenance of it but boy you could just and i didn't even know the whole history but you you knew it was around for a while and, and you knew you knew there were ghosts there it was really cool and i got to see exactly where you flanked out to the left facing i don't know if that's north south east or west end zone i think it was running a fly <laughs> pattern catching it in stride and spiking the ball in the end zone and having your coach yell at you for doing that yeah, well said. All right, we're going to move on to our next category here. And, um, you know, we lost a great, Joe, a great baseball writer and Rick Hummel, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Um, they called him the commish. Now, it started out he was the commissioner of kind of a football fantasy league, but he became known as the commish around baseball because he just was around baseball all the time and knew everything about it. Um, one of the real gentlemen around the game, synonymous with covering Cardinals baseball through managers like Whitey Herzog, Tony La Russa, Joe Torre, you name it. Um, he was there for so much history and chronicled it so well. He had just retired after last season, uh, 77 years old, had um, a quick illness, died in his sleep over the weekend. Uh, but it's a big loss for the baseball community, especially in St. Louis, where you know how popular that team is and what it means to the city of St. Louis. And you just think about generations who grew up and their connection to the Cardinals was, in many ways, reading what Rick Hummel had to say covering that team. Um, so I'm sure, Joe, you crossed paths with Rick on your trips through St. Louis or the Cardinals coming to Chicago. Yeah. Um, it, it's a reminder of how important, I think, baseball writers can be especially those who have such a long and distinguished career yeah gentlemen absolute gentlemen they always treated me well properly and yeah i mean you're, it is it's the the sports writer um you know it's not uh, you it's not viewed in the same with the same reverence maybe that it had been in the past uh, because of the way news is distributed today uh via this ipad that i'm utilizing right now and uh, you don't have as many columnists and, and really fine writers in each particular city that can dissect something in a, in a real, in, in a way that I thought was, I think maybe, um, you know, tasty to both sides. Somebody that really was there on a more consistent basis and didn't just show up on occasion. Guys that were really uh, fully entrenched in the, in their craft and the, and the teams and, and the group and the team and the teams that were coming through. So yeah, you always treated me really, really well. And you talked about the, uh, you know, the managers that had been there before Whitey and I, Whitey's one of the, another one of the great influential managers in my particular existence. Cause I was there with the angels when he just came in the door for a brief period of time. And, and the history of the team, I was a fan in 1964 when they won the world series was the first year I was a Cardinal fan. So whether it's the sporting news, uh, Rick, whatever it's, it's, there's always been this wonderful group of writers there. And it is, it's different. The Cardinals, the St. Louis fan base, um, they are different. They are traditionally based. They've had a great 
run for so many years back to Mr. Ricky. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one right there. I didn't realize it was such a quick illness like that. And that's tough to, to hear after just retiring. But, um, yeah, but he would be uh, sadly missed. But he was really a gentleman. Best way I could describe it. Yeah, well said. I mean, um, Rick was uh, very involved with the Baseball Writers Association. He was a president for a while, and the uh, the Post Dispatch started uh, to fund a scholarship in his name over the years, um, where they would have internships, and the interns would come out uh, and work with Rick actually um, through summer internships. And I wanted to share some of his rules, sort of rules. They're not literally rules, but let's call them guideposts. Uh, to pass along his knowledge and everything he's learned to the younger generation. So he had some rules. Again, I'm, I'm using that loosely. I'm sure there wasn't a fine or anything involved. <laughs> I, I used them loosely also, so I get it. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, number one, show up, be on time, right? I mean, you had that rule as, as a manager, right, Joe? It's sure, just of course. the simplest thing you can do. Right. Watch and listen closely. Tell the story. Don't be it. Dress better, tweet less, <laughs> and never forget to have fun. I mean, you can't go wrong with those. I'd like to think I could have written that. I mean, that's that's right on the money right there. That's a simple mantra to follow, about five lines, whatever that was. And if we all did that on a daily basis, you know what? People would like to speak with you. People want to be around you. Uh, you're going to make a positive impact. Whatever you put out there comes back to you. It's all encapsulated in what you just said, Those those simple rules – it's outstanding. And again, we, we, well, most of us need to adhere to that more on a daily basis because it's that simple and it's that good. Yeah. And I think especially younger writers need to be told tweet less. Um, not that there's anything wrong with tweeting, but I think it, it's sort of like going around in life when you see people using their phones for selfies or they're at some beautiful place or someplace in nature and, and they're viewing it through their phones yeah. and not through their own experience. And I feel that way people covering baseball um, that they're not really watching. And as Yogi would say, you can learn a lot by observing or watching. And, you know, I think it's, it's well said. It's very short. It's sweet. Tweet less. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it, but make sure that you soak up the experience. You, you learn so much that way. Yeah. I mean, I just, when it comes to tweeting and, you know, writers during a game, I would hope that they're doing it in between innings and not actually as, as action is occurring. When you put your head down, you lose the game. I mean, I even in a dugout, I mean, I want to write something down, but if I if I don't wait for a break in the action and I go to write something and all of a sudden I look up and I missed, I, I get so angry with myself if I miss something. It's like, for instance, if they started a runner and I had been worried about looking at something else that was really not uh, pertinent and I missed the sign from the third base coach as an example, I would, I'd get upset with myself. So yeah, it's it's okay to tweet. I guess you know it's it's there and it's it has a positive purpose. But when you're doing something like that, when you're writing uh, the story of the game, you got to watch the game and you got to analyze the game according to what you uh, are seeing, what you believe is the right things to do, not to be influenced by uh, somebody sitting in a home somewhere trying to tell you uh, how to think in regards to what you're seeing in this baseball game. I. I'm always concerned about that a little bit. I, I I like the writer that just sits there and gives me his solid opinion and not somebody else's. Joe, speaking of opinions, I can't wait to get your opinion on this next category called Start Me Up. Okay. The state of starting pitching in Major League Baseball these days. In one word, 
It stinks. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. Start me up the stones, man. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. Yeah, starting pitching. Man, we've been traveling downhill for the last decade, Joe. You've you've seen it happen. Um, looking at the numbers, this is only the third season ever where the winning percentage of starting pitchers is this low and the ERA is this high. And those other years were 2019 and 2020. Uh, we're asking starters to do less. They're throwing fewer innings. They're pitching less often. They're getting hurt more. And they're winning less. Ten years ago, starting pitchers accounted for 70% of the wins in a baseball season. We're down to 59% now. And in those 10 years, the average number of pitches from a starter has gone from 97 to 86. Here's something that's amazing to me. We've already used 232 starting pitchers in a quarter of a season this year. 
That's more than entire seasons from 1901 to 1974. And there are more starting pitchers on the IL so far this year. Again, we haven't played a third of the season. There are more starting pitchers on the IL than were on for the entire season in 2016. That's only seven years ago, folks. So workloads dropping, injuries are going up. Teams will spend probably almost $400 million this year on pitchers who can't pitch. Uh, And they're doing this, by the way, by going to most teams, going to six-man rotations. Mm -hmm. Normal rest in today's game is not four, folks. If you hear an announcer say he's gone on normal rest, that means five days. You know, 10 years ago, it was normal. Now, only 30% of starts are made on the fifth day. So, Joe, you were part of it. I mean, you saw it. You had the six-man rotation with Shohei. I get that to accommodate him with the Angels. Um, I, I don't see this trend reversing. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. I'm just saying that the game now pivots almost more on relief pitching than it does on starting pitching. A starting pitcher, to me now, his job, work through the lineup two times, don't lose the game. Just keep the team around, be a game manager, if you will. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and again, it's it's really, that that component has been analytically driven the third time through the batting order has really become a prominent uh, refrain over the last several years. That's all I heard. I heard that a lot with different pitchers, and um, I'm going to jump around a bit, but I had guys in the past that, yeah, I do that the third time through, let's be careful, and you don't want them out there, but I also know that the third time through for some others, they would even get better. Uh, they were trained. They were trained in a way that they wanted to conclude what they began. Um, so this is, it is disturbing and it is, it's a learned behavior on our part. This is how we're teaching our young pitchers to play. Um, and it starts in the minor leagues. I don't even know what's going on in college. I don't even, you know, normally in the past collegiate coaches would let their guys go because they had less of them and they're trying to win and weekends would be very, very important. And, you know, back in the day, I watched ASU, Jim Brock, Use his best pitcher on Saturday, or, uh, Friday, and Sunday. So I don't know what the college trend is like, but I do know professionally, like you said, it's less innings and more injuries. Um, I think part of it also with the injury, and again, spitballing, is just the fact that nobody's being taught to pitch. Everybody's being taught to throw hard and, and spin, spin the ball at the top of the strike zone primarily. Now the sweep slider is becoming uh, a more prominent pitch, uh, you know, just a bigger slider. And Mark Clear, of horse, had one of the best I've ever seen in 1980 or 79-8 when I caught him. It's the same pitch that's being um, made more prominent right now, become more popular. But this is this all this stuff's been around. Um, again, uh, we're not nurturing uh, guys to pitch more deeply in the games. It's not being encouraged in the minor leagues. Um, I, and again, I always go back there because that's where it needs to be done. It has to be a mindset. Uh, that the pitcher wants to complete what he began. I watched Cincinnati yesterday. I don't remember the pitcher's name. I was watching the game. It was like the fourth or fifth inning, and he was doing okay, left-hander, and he was taken out. He was taken out, kind of a little bit tight, but middle of the ball game, a lot of game left. And, man, wait, like you're talking about, where are you going to get all these pitchers from? You keep taking your starters out that early. But the point is, as he gave the ball to the manager and he was walking off, he was pretty content. You know, there was no there was no John Lackey moment right there. This is this I've I've learned to do this. I've learned that okay, I've done my job. I'll go in, I'll get some treatment, I'll lift some weights, I'll watch the game, and I'll come back tomorrow and I'll start this cycle of uh, getting back ready for my next ball game. It's it's an acceptance that we have taught this acceptance of not being expected to go 
more deeply in the game. So if the, if it's been a learned behavior to do it this way, why can't we reteach it the other way? Um, and part of it, I think, and I'll shut up here, is that it's it's not just about throwing the ball hard. We have to teach guys how to pitch, and pitchers have to be able to maneuver through the lineup into the third time, into the sixth, seventh inning. I saw Verlander the other day just shoving with this fastball. I watched that game against, um, who was that? Was that Cleveland? Yes, against Cleveland. Just shoved. Yeah shoving with his fastball and they were late. I mean, all the, and that was just an attitude on his part. It wasn't like like a pedestrian velocity in today's game, 94, 95, but he was shoving because of his attitude and his commitment to each pitch. So man, it's just, it's just what's being taught. It's, it's the third time through syndrome. And I'd like to see more nurturing in the minor leagues of letting guys go further into the game, farther into the game and more of a pitch ability as opposed to a throw ability. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a line from Kurt Schilling who said, uh, starting pitchers, they're like Labrador retrievers. They'll do what you train them to do. Right. And, and we are training them to pitch two times around the lineup and say, I did my job. Right. Uh, you, you, it's definitely an attitude. I, I think what you're saying, if I read you correctly, Joe, because the third time around metric, there, there's some real facts there, right? <laughs> it, it's hard to dispute that in general, a fresh arm is better than a guy pitching through the lineup a third time. Right. But I said in general. So I think what you're arguing against is a one-size-fits-all mentality, that there are certain pitchers that should be, if not trained to do it, they can do it, and you'll never know unless you give them the opportunity. Yeah, and I, again, I think it's by pitchability. Um, I mean, I've always liked my starters that had a third and even a fourth pitch so that they're not showing the same thing the third time through that they've shown the first time through the batting order. They have a different look. For this particular hitter, that's really a good starting pitcher. The, ch- the ability to change speeds, the ability to locate, uh, the ability to put the ball on the ground or elevate when he wants to. But they're not doing this on the minor league level. This is where it has to begin. You just don't bring somebody up and expect them to know how to do all this stuff uh, automatically on a major league level. Uh, there are going to be some horses, some anomalies. The kid with the Atlanta, uh, he's probably an anomaly. But, but I do believe there's more out there if, in fact, you give them the opportunity, if, in fact, um, on a minor league level, you encourage and teach them to to maneuver through the third time through the batting order. Listen, if it was like the right way to do things, who'd be losing right now? I mean, there's a lot of teams that are struggling. There's a lot of teams that can't get anybody out. You're talking about the state of starting pitching. So why is this the right way to do things? I don't get it. I, it's the way it's the way it's being done right now, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And that's that's where I get confused with all this stuff because if it's not. If, if it was it was as easy as just applying this kind of doctrine to our uh, organizational philosophy, then I would expect more wins. And it's just not happening everywhere. No, it's not. And uh, you made a good point about pitchability. I, I looked at four-seam fastball velocity by inning this year. Mm-hmm. And for starting pitchers, pitchers, the highest average velocity, you got it. It's the first inning. Mm-hmm. And then it goes down in the second it goes down in the third, it goes down in the fourth, it goes down in the fifth, and then in the sixth inning, when bullpens take over, it starts ramping up again until we get to the ninth inning, of course, where you have the highest average four-seam velocity at 95. But pitchers, starting pitchers now, are taking the ball from their very first pitch of the game as if they're closing the game. It's a game predicated on swings and misses, even from the first inning. And that's why you're seeing walks are up and strikeouts are up. I see pitchers all the time. They realize, hey, 
A walk is not a bad play. Correct. So I'm going to spin the baseball even when I'm behind on the count. I'll live with the walk, and I will all the times try for that strikeout for the swing and miss. It's part of what guys are paid for, right? The swing and miss, uh, keeping the ball out of play. Um, so we're, in, we're encouraging our starters to go out the game like they're closers. And that's, you know, back when we were doing this a couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk about pitching the contact. I mean, that was a big line back in the 80s when I first began. And that's where defenses, you know, you wanted to put your defense obviously in the right spot. And you wanted somebody to be able to pick up a ground ball because you, a lot of times you did have sinker ball pitchers that would pitch the contact. You wanted, I, my theory as a minor league um, coordinator was to get an out. I wanted my pitchers to get an out within the first three pitches of an at-bat. Uh, you know, the longer the at-bat, the more pitches seen. Obviously, that the, the hitter had a greater advantage. And, of course, with that, uh, more pitches thrown per at-bat, then the starting pitcher has less of a chance to go more deeply into the game. Uh, I remember doing that with kids in the minor league, and I did it with guys in the big leagues. I wanted the out within the first three pitches. But that's not the case. Like you're saying, we're going to keep trying to strike you out at the expense of five, six, seven, eight pitches because I'm not going to give in. I'm going to keep rearing back and throwing as hard as as I possibly can. There is not that pitch ability. Um, of course, there is uh, Kyle Hendricks. I had James Shields. I could start naming guys that had great pitch ability. They're able to pitch more deeply into the game. I, I didn't really manage with uh, with this philosophy the whole long regarding just, you know, elevated velocity, uh, rear back and throw as hard as you can. Jake McGee was that as an example out of the bullpen. He just threw fastball, left-handed fastball, and everybody was crying that he needs a break. I said, no, he doesn't. Just needs to keep throwing that same pitch over and over again. I think one year righties hit .99 against Jake. Uh, but that was a one-inning guy. It was not the whole game. But my pitchers with the Rays, and even look at the guys with the Cubs. They were pitchers. They had pitchability about them. They were there. They were able to get the third time through. So I understand statistically, but I think the statistics are skewed by just what you've talked about. Uh, if you just get a bunch of dudes out there just trying to throw as hard as they can, and velocity comes down the third time through, and these hitters are seeing the same slot, the limited uh, number of pitches or kind of pitches that this guy can throw. Of course, he's going to narrow them down. It's all interconnected. Um, so I like pitchability. I like guys out there knowing what they're doing. I want my pitchers. If my starters can go into the sixth, seventh inning. That really makes my bullpen a whole lot better. Well, just since 2015, and that's not too long ago, the percentage of major league starts lasting seven innings mm-hmm. has been cut by more than half. It used to be over 30%. Now we're about 12%. There you go. So we're not getting that length from starting pitchings. I, I, I get it. Uh, I understand there's there's more power arms in the bullpen. And you know, as a manager, Joe, these guys are more likely to hurry to their bullpen because they have a bevy of choices out there. I always say the worst mistake a manager can make in the game today, it seems to me, is leaving a starting pitcher in to lose the game late. No manager wants a starting pitcher to lose a game after the sixth inning because there's questions to answer. Oh, why didn't you go to the bullpen, right? right. So we're not yeah. allowing those pitchers even the opportunity to pitch through a jam a second or third time. That's what the minor leagues are for, man. That's where these guys have to learn how to do this stuff, and they will. You give them the opportunity, they'll learn how to change speeds, manipulate the ball somewhat, uh, see what the hitter is looking like, what is he doing. Give them an opportunity to learn how to do this. You just can't uh, expect somebody that's never done it before to show up on the major league stage and all of a sudden uh, manipulate and figure out how to get into that third time through the bat. He's not. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I love the minor leagues. I, that's that's how I grew up, and I still love the minor leagues. I haven't seen it in a while. 
But that's where, that's the lab, man. That's the lab. That's where these things need to be taught. This is where things have to be uh, stretched in a sense. But if you're going to just teach specialization from the time the guy shows up um, out of a high school, college, or junior college, and it's all about specialization, and this is your niche, and once you get to this number, I'm going to come get you. You walk off the mound, and you're going to be happy about it. That's what you're going to get. Yeah, you know, I understand wins often are a product of how many runs your team scores, the defense behind you. Obviously, the pitcher doesn't have complete command of a win or lose situation. But, man, I, I don't care. The, the win, uh, say 20 wins in the season or having that W next to your name, man, that still matters. That means you stayed in the game long enough to work through maybe a jam a second or third time. You not only gave your team a chance to win, but you got that win yourself because you lasted long enough to do that. And I think with wins comes glamour, comes prestige. We're losing that. Yeah. Um, that you know the no decision. Who who cares? I mean, like Ed Lynch, the old pitcher and GM, once told me it's the only position in sports we literally build a pedestal for. Mm-hmm. The pitcher is on a mound. The starting pitcher should be a drawing card, and we're losing that kind of glamour that kind of drawing power if you will uh to see a big time pitcher go out there you know nobody walked into a bar and impressed anybody by talking about their their whip or their <laughs> strikeout rate but if you said hey i won 20 games you're like wow that's a 20 game winner yeah so it still matters and, and I'm, again i'm not saying that's the best evaluation of a pitcher but from a fan perspective yeah it matters folks it's not a bad evaluation it really is not and uh you know, I, I agree with you on all those different counts. Buddy Black and I, Pepe, manager of the Rockies, we used to look at the paper. Uh, when we looked at the paper, it says marquee matchup. You look at a particular city and the, the two pitchers, there's two starting pitchers. It's a marquee matchup today. Jojo, we walk into a ballpark. Our guy was good. Their guy was good. Jojo, marquee matchup today. You don't hear that anymore. You don't. You're absolutely right. You do not hear that. Why? What's uh, that's That was a draw. It should be a draw. Um you know, Verlander and Scherzer pitching back to back in the doubleheader. That was pretty. That that had some marquee stuff attached to it uh, yesterday. Whatever it was with the Mets, uh, it should be it should be re-nurtured. Uh, I do. I still look at the starting pitchers, and there's times like Manoa. I like Manoa with Toronto as an example. I, as uh, in the other dugout, I thought this guy was really really good, and I know he got caught in that controversy the other day. But as an example, I I will want to watch him pitch when I know that he's pitching in a particular game. I'll I'll tune in. Just for that reason, there are still some guys that I like like that. But uh, indus- industry-wide, it really would be great to get back to that. But again, it's not going to happen if, if it's not deemed to be important uh, analytically and if it's not taught on the minor league level. And w- I don't understand why, like I said, the kid walking off the mound from Cincinnati was totally content with getting out of there when he did as opposed to really wanting to finish what he started. Doesn't um, it a life lesson in some way, too? Why, don't we all want to finish what we start? And I, I don't know. It's just there's not a whole whole lot to be derived from that. And and again, you, you got to show me on an annual basis that uh, uh, just a ton plethora of relief pitchers is going to get it done on an annual basis. Yeah, the guy coming in is going to throw harder. I get that, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be better or win. Uh, I still I'll take my chances with a good starting staff that gets me consistently to the sixth inning that permits me to use my bullpen less and keep those guys fresh for the, for the playoffs. I still prefer that method. Well, Joe, we've got two more categories on our baseball Jeopardy board. Okay. Slumps and super groups. Cool. We'll be back at it after this. 
This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Joe, I got a question for you. Do you remember ever having a really bad slump as a minor leaguer or maybe in college? My whole life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, every, every year at Lafayette, the cold weather, even though I'm from the cold weather, man, that first month I'd be looking, swinging at pitches, and I'd see them going over the bat. I'm thinking, what am I doing wrong here? And it, waited, it needed the weather to warm up to find out where the, bat, where the head of the bat needed to be. So, yes, we've all been involved in slumps. Well, Trace Thompson of the L.A. Dodgers is on the longest hitless slump of any position player in Dodgers history. This is a guy who started the year with three home runs in his first game. Figured he's headed for a great year, right? He's gone 0 for 38. That's more than a month without a hit. He's not an everyday player, of course, so he's not getting a lot of ABs. Imagine going like five, six weeks without a hit. 0 for 38. I remember Derek Jeter once, 0 for 32, which is like crazy for a future Hall of Famer. Uh, I remember Derek one time, he was so 
desperate for a hit. He tried to bunt for a base hit with a guy on second base and two outs. Not normally a good play, but he did it. He needed a hit, didn't get it. Wound up breaking out of it with a home run of Barry Zito. Um, the worst slump, I think, of all time, certainly in recent times, 0 for 54 by Chris Davis of the Baltimore yeah. Orioles. We're not talking about pitchers. There's been some historic ones on for pitchers, but position players. So I'm curious, Joe, when you've got you've got one of your players going through those slumps, and as you know, they tend to take a life on its own of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can you do to try to get a guy out of it? I try to simplify primarily, and I really I, I do. I try to get out of the mechanical component, just get into the mental component, like uh, uh, try to reduce the task at hand here. As an example, I, I just emphasize middle of the field. We just got to stay in the middle, um, look away first, slow the pitch down. Um, really, the whole, the whole field has to become your friend again because a lot of times uh, that guy gets in a pull mode, rollover mode, chase mode. That's what happens in, in long slumps. Uh, it's rare that you're hitting the ball hard consistently and it's right at people and, and it's caught. It's normally it's normally weak contact and chase. So I like to do that. Uh, I like to get them to to narrow it down and think middle first, like I said, in the opposite side. And the farther the ball is away from your body, the deeper you let it get. In other words, you got more time. So these are the kind of things I will talk about. I really want to stay away from uh, physical mechanics. That's just going to bog it down even more. So I always uh, do begin with that, with the hitter. And then we've talked about this too. It depends on the status of the guy also. And it's, listen, if he's going to go for 30 something on a, like a Jeter did, of course he's an everyday player. You're not going to sit him. I like moving those guys up in the batting order as opposed to below. And I, my, my, again, my thought is, listen, I want you to just get, try to get on base somehow. Just get on base. Stop thinking about hits. Just get on base. And, and I also believe if they start accepting their walks, that's when the hits start showing up because again, they start getting their strikes on in order. So this is how, this is where I come from when I get a guy that's really struggling like that. We've all had them. Uh, But I think the worst thing you can do is start to try to, uh, get uh, mentally uh, mechanical, physically mechanical. It's got to be, it's more of your mental mechanics that are messing up on you as opposed to your physical mechanics. And I think during the course of a baseball season, the deeper you get, the more your mechanical work needs to be mental mechanics as opposed to physical. Hey, I love what you said about moving the guy up in the order. Um, Joe Torre was a big proponent of that. That, as you said, you kind of take the, the the onus off getting a hit to just get on base and oftentimes, especially if you move a guy to the number two spot, which Joe liked to do, uh, you're surrounded by good hitters. You may see some more fastballs. Uh, you just slot it into a good spot in the order. And I, I think I, I personally like the message that you're sending, that I'm with you. I think when you move guys down in the lineup, what you're doing is you're trying to take pressure off a guy, but you're basically giving into the slump and saying, you know what, you're not going well now, so I have to drop you in the order. It's sort of a negative reinforcement to me. So I like the counterintuitive move of moving the guy up in the lineup. One more thing, Tommy, too. The other thing I like to do there is put a hit and run sign on. I'll force the guy to swing the bat. So you're just trying to pick a you know a pitcher that's around the strike zone, maybe a sinker ball pitcher. A ball might be on the ground. But if, I, if I'm facing, if we're facing a, a command pitcher, run the zone, somewhat of a sinker ball guy, I will try to pick a count to get the runner started because now – the hitter totally commits to swing the bat in that situation. I've had some success with that with uh, pretty good hitters that are in a little bit of a slump because uh, you're in the maybe mode. A lot of the slump is the maybe mode. Should I swing? Should I not swing? And then, that, of course, whenever you're in the maybe mode, it, it never works. So 
you got to get them to see the ball come into the pitch. So I do like an auto, automatic hit and run to get him to swing the bat. Uh, regardless of what happens, at least he commits to the swing, and sometimes he comes out feeling better about it. The mental component is amazing, isn't it, Joe? I mean, a, a yeah. slump of that kind of like crazy length it becomes such a mental weight. And, and we're talking about the finest athletes of the game getting to that level. You have to be competitive. You have to be uh, able to persevere just to get there. But then it's amazing how the confidence can just wither to nothing when you can't buy a hit for a week, for a couple of weeks, in this case, five weeks. Um, what about the mental side of it, Joe? Is there anything that you can do, try to change a guy's routine, laugh about it. I know a lot of people yeah. like Jeter, like a lot of players, he would never want to say the S word slump mm-hmm. guys. Don't even want to say that. It's like on defense with the yips. Nobody ever wants to say the yips. They call it the thing. The slump just becomes almost a character, a beast in its own way. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're swinging too much. I think there's a point of diminishing returns with all this too. So I'll, I'll actually ask my guy to swing less or just show up and play. Um, you know, come in later today. Uh, just come in late. Um, don't even go to the cage. Just come in, stretch, do your treatment, whatever it is. When you see that first pitch in the game, that's the first pitch you're seeing all day, as an example. Uh, or just overall less batting practice. Sometimes we swing ourselves in the slumps. I'll say his name, Jackie Howell. I love Jackie Howell. Jackie was a, a young angel, and I remember working with him in Tucson, he was he was up to the big league club, sent him back down. He was having some issues. We go to Tucson. I'm throwing BP. It's kind of hot. And he's killing it. He's absolutely killing it. But then one more, one more, one more. And when you do that, if you roll something over, pop something up, again, I want one more. So we should have quit after four or five minutes. But we were there for almost a half an hour based on one more. So those are the kind of things a good hitting coach has to be able to tell his guy, listen, no, that's enough. That's enough today. Let's move it along. Just put the bat down because there's there's arm weariness, there's mental weariness, there's all kinds of weariness that's going to occur. Like just continually swinging. And then when you do that, you're practicing the wrong things anyhow. So I, I, I'd like a hitting coach to take charge of that moment. And sometimes it's less is more. And, and you have to understand that because I've seen so many guys that just they want to you want to swing yourself out of a slump. It's like going out of the driving range. OK, you had a couple of good. Just leave. George Hendricks was the best. I used to throw cuz. BP is a, as a, a young coach and cuz was an angel. And we go down to the cage at Gene Hotchery with his little helmet on. And he says, I want about 15. It's, that's it. He would say that. Then I'd go and I'd throw a couple pitches. He would always adjust after each pitch. And maybe after 10, he hits a bully. He says, that, I'm good. And he'd walk out. He would just walk out. Uh, love cuz's approach. Cuz was pretty good. So everybody, and we, we have taught hitters to swing way too much, I think. Uh, that's because of the the nature of the way teaching occurs right now. And we th- always think uh, more is better. And I, I, I do not subscribe to that theory at all. Less is more a lot of times. And uh, again, a good hitting coach knows when to say time out. That's enough. Well said, brother. Uh, one more category on our baseball Jeopardy board, and that is super groups. Joe, the 1970s, man. What is it about rock bands in the 1970s? Because... There were super groups. I mean, mm-hmm. you had people who went on the talented uh, solo careers getting together in these super groups. And I love the way that they told stories. You know, we started out talking about Rick Hummel mm-hmm. and, and the storytelling involved with baseball writing. I think about bands in the 70s, whether it was rock operas, you know, concept albums, or just long songs that had an arc of a story to it. I mean, 
you just don't see those anymore. Uh, obviously, you're talking about groups like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, The Who, uh, The Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, Chicago, Kansas, Boston. That sounds like a college conference. Chicago, Kansas, Boston. Uh, so I know this is up your alley, Joe. Yeah. 70s bands. Where are you going if uh, if you want to throw on an album? Imagine that concept. Not just a song, but an album. Wow. That's wide open, man. Because the kids today, man, they don't even know what an album is, yeah. right? I mean, you, you just you just go through your playlist. It's one song after another by different groups. But back in the day, when you had to throw that turntable on, you went through the album. Oh, yeah. The, you, you got the arc of an album. Yeah. There was concepts to yeah. the album. One song kind of dovetailed into another, or there was a theme there. It was amazing. It held you through the course of that that needle working its way across that disc. I mean, I could go, I mean, to begin with, it was always, I mean, I started in the early 70s with uh, Elton John with Tumbleweed Connection. I've always considered that one of his best or Madman Across the Water. But, and then Grand Funk Railroad, you talked about this operatic. It was, I'm your captain, Grand Funk Railroad. And then you go into the mid 70s and uh, Green Grass and High Tides by the Outlaws. The Prairie I mean, League, yeah. That, that was, that to me is like one of the best jams in history, uh, long jams. But when he just came to listening to an album, like from start to finish, because you liked every song. I like I like I like Elton John for that. I like uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash for that. Uh, I like The Who for that. Um, God, I could keep going on. <laughs> I mean, of course, Springsteen began in '72, three for me, and Greetings from Asbury Park is still one of my favorites. I will, if I need to be picked up for any reason, I'll just throw that on. Real, I got these Sirwin Vega. I think I told you Sirwin Vega speakers right here to my right, each weighing 125 pounds. And I could Bluetooth my music through that, or I do have a, I do have a, 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 a turntable up on top there, and I just pound that real loud. Like I said, I'll turn the lights out at night. Uh, how about like Led Zeppelin, man? I mean, yeah. Zeppelin is another one. I could just—that's the one group now. If they ever, whatever's left of them, decided to get back together, I'm going. I don't know where it's going to be. I'm going. Uh, if Zeppelin ever decided. We're going to do this another time. I will, I will absolutely attempt to get there as much as, as well as I possibly can because that group there, I always stop and listen to Zeppelin. The create, creativity of that group um, was phenomenal. David Bowie. I'm a big David Bowie fan. So I listen on and on. But when it comes down to just listening to an album, I love I love uh, John. Elton John. I love Springsteen. And yeah. Um, <clears throat> Shoot, all these dudes, man. I and I can even go like to Molly Hatchet. I mean, I all these guys that were just such from. And the other thing was identifiable. You knew it was them. You know, it, it, the sound was their sound. You knew you knew who you were listening to, even after five notes. Santana. I'm hoping to see him this summer. So, yeah, I could go on and on. Yeah, I'm always <laughs> blown away by how many great tracks the Eagles cranked out. Sure. I mean, we know they're a super group and unbelievable, but man, it's just one. And not just hits, but just one great tune after another. You may have answered this already, but when you mentioned Grand Funk Railroad, mm -hmm. give me one sort of under the radar 1970s supergroup rock band that people should dig into. For me, I'm going to throw out there Bad Company. Yeah. They, they kind of got lost in the shuffle, but man, they, they cranked out a lot of really good music, great guitar riffs. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, a unique sound, right? All these groups kind of stood on their own merits. They kind of borrowed from one another, but 
you know, a tune comes on, you know, hey, that's bad company. Mm -hmm. um, ELO was that way as well. You know, another band to me probably has a very unique sound. And it was it was easy for some of these bands to get lost with, you know, between Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. Um, but man, they hold up even years later. So who you, who you got as your under the radar draft pick here? I don't mean the Almond Brothers. Are they under the radar? I mean, I love the Almond Brothers. Yeah, I, I love the Almond Brothers. I love that country rock uh, Marshall Tucker band. Yeah, that's some good jam bands. Yeah, you also had um, New Riders of the Purple Sage. This was like this was a big Lafayette gig back then. All these guys. But if I had to pick one uh, that'll get me rolling too, that I guess it's under the radar somewhat is the Almond Brothers. Uh, just Jessica, I could listen to that jam all day long. Um, so yeah, I um, I'm uh, I'm I'm going to stick I'm going to stick with the Omen Brothers. So I, you know, popularity wise, I I'm sure that you know, we know we're talking about with that. We of course we love them, but a lot of the younger generation, I'm not so sure that they're totally aware of who the Omen Brothers were and what they did because I their sound was spectacular for me. Yeah, and you know, we just to go back to starting pitching. These bands in the seventies, like starting pitchers, <laughs> they, they were not in a hurry to get out of there. I mean, no. these songs went on four or five, maybe six minutes, right? Yeah, not happening today. I, nobody's going to cut a, a single because that's what they do now. Uh, that's even four minutes. So when you're talking about the Almond Brothers and some of these bands, man, they took their time. They 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 really slow cooked uh, their product. It was great. They had a lot to say, man. This this was pent up in them inside them for years, and at that time it wasn't uh, didn't necessarily have to be uh, an AM radio kind of a star. These these albums were different, and uh, they they were made to be uh, devoured. I mean, you just sat around and devoured. When a new album would come out, you get that you'd get the plastic off, you'd very carefully put it down, make sure that needle came down properly, and you would just sit there and you know it was like watching Netflix. I guess today that was but what, what an album was or Hulu. That's what we did. And it was binge so, listening. <laughs> right. Exactly. Binge listening. Exactly. And then you start talking among your buddies, like about whatever you just had listened to all time. Longest one hit wonder. How about iron butterfly and God of Vida? How about that? Yeah. That was, yeah. That, that, that'll always stir you up, man. But that was beautiful when, when they came out with that golden earring, the twilight zone. Love, love. That's, that's one of my favorites actually. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Love. Hey man, this is this really been fun, Joe, playing baseball Jeopardy with you. Uh, we'll have to do it again, but in the meantime, for final Jeopardy, I'm going to ask you to to give us something to take us out here in this latest edition of the Book of Joe podcast. Yeah, I'm always saying with my guys, you know, the people that I really dig on, and and this I think applies. We're just kind of talking about it right now. Churchill again. Sorry, love the man. Wish I'd had a drink with him. Success is going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. Right. I mean, everybody wants everything to be perfect all the time, but it ain't that way. It's not that way. Uh, you know, guys, we get hurt. Uh, things just aren't working properly. We're thinking it too much and it creates failure. But you got to go from failure to failure uh, and do not lose your enthusiasm. Enthusiasm really uh, energy and enthusiasm really is what leads to success on a high level. So I think Winston was well ahead of his time. And one of the great speakers of all time, Winston Churchill. So uh, I'm going to give you a quote from one of my son's elementary school teachers. It's not okay. from uh, Winston's playbook, not nearly as erudite, <laughs> but uh, mistakes are good. They're how we grow. They teach us things we need to know. 
And you're absolutely right. I mean, anybody involved in baseball can tell you about that, right? A game built on failure. It is. Makes you better. And if you're right, if you can't handle it, then you can't do it. You can't play the game. If you can't handle failure, you can't play the game. I love the part about the enthusiasm, getting through it with enthusiasm. Awesome. 100%. 100%. It's been a pleasure, Joe. Let's do, uh, let's do Baseball Jeopardy again another time. <laughs> I love it. Well done, buddy. Well done. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.